all kinds of different ways to reach different people. Um, but a lot of those things fall into this first language, I suppose, which would be the subjective or the comparative. This is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. I'm John McGowan, your host, and as always, I'm very appreciative of your listening. Back on podcast number 207, I had a conversation with Cameron Shinati about introducing functional threshold power to your class. And if you're privileged enough like I am to have indoor cycles with power, hopefully you found it of value. And yet I still had some additional questions and invited Cameron back and she brought probably the deepest voice we ever have on the Indoor Cycle Instructor podcast to join her. So starting with Cameron Shinati, welcome. How are you? Hi, I hope it's not my voice you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. not. But but, uh, the newest member of your Stages Indoor Cycling education team, Doug Rushow. How are you, Doug? I'm very good. Well, awesome. I appreciate you guys coming back. The conversation we were having revolved around my concerns as far as having methodology, whatever you want to call it, uh, that we can incorporate in our classes frequently, almost to the point of every class. As far as understanding, I think we used the term benchmark before. Um, It's not a, maybe not an exactly true functional threshold power, but it gives us something to work off of. And the conversation, Cameron, you and I had kind of before this was that your explanation is that language has a lot to do with this. Absolutely. Exactly. So we're going to have a conversation of the language of power. Yeah. And, you know, of course, this is something we could get into and go really uh, heavy, really fast. But we're going to look at it for for its face value. And I think you'll find... um, your listeners will find anyways, that there's going to be application to people that do not have access to consoles with power, uh, as well as those that do, because these are all good techniques, good tricks that you can utilize regardless. All right. So how should we start? Sure. Well, I guess probably the, the thing to bring back, the the concept to bring back is, and we talked on this, but very briefly, was that you know, the, the information is only as good as your understanding of, of the information. And it'd be like with power, for instance, it's kind of akin to, uh, you know, you have, you have these numbers and it says wattage, but really your only relation to wattage for most people is maybe the light bulb that they screw into their ceiling. So, and it's not something, and I kind of joke about this during our training, but it's not something that Shape Magazine plasters all over their front cover like, ooh, increase your wattage by 10%. So it's, um, most people don't know why they should want to improve their, their output. So it, it starts by setting them up for success with, languages that support power. And, uh, you know, if, if you're going to be talking to people about things from different angles, 
you probably want to think about it, or I guess you could think about it, like speaking multiple languages. So uh, there are really four languages um, in, in my mind, and at least with stages that we approach this from, that we think it's important that people are versed in. And I know Doug, for his own personal purposes, he has a whole, uh, he's a whole glossary of different languages. He has the automotive language, how to compare it to um, auto, how to compare it to color. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways to reach different people. Um, but a lot of those things fall into this first language, I suppose, which would be the subjective or the comparative. So, you know, an example like at this effort, uh, you should be able to breathe through your nose with your mouth closed. Or, um, I don't know, Doug, what's another good one that you use? I have some categories of sensation, for instance, sensation of the pedals, uh, mental focus, um, obviously, conversations a popular one. Yep. Things like that. See, I like the 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 focus one because I use that a lot. In that, you know, there's a level where of intensity that you have to start focusing to maintain, or it falls off. Right. Right. So, so where is that point? What? Do you, how do you describe that point, or where is that point, Doug? Uh, well, if you want to start from the beginning. <laughs> Um, if you're looking at, you know, an RPE of less than two, um, the focus, the only focus necessary is so that you can actually stay recovered <laughs> so okay. without going too hard. Um, and then going into the next level, say an RPE of two to three, um, there would be a minimum concentration required to maintain that intensity. Got it. Okay. Sorry, Cameron, I interrupted. No, that's you, perfect. You're, and, you're on a roll. And, and Doug is really, I mean, he's already speaking two languages right now. I mean, he just compared this idea of focus to what that means to RPE. So, I mean, I think most instructors, given the, the limited tools that many of us had for so many years, have gotten pretty good at this subjective. Um, because, you know, if you have a bike and a class and some music and that's it, and we're talking before heart rate monitors or people that aren't interested in heart rate monitors, to teach a good class, you have to be really good at controlling uh, the subjective or conveying the subjective. So, um, you know, other ways to do that would be to compare it and or anchor it. So this is something I am going to have Doug talk about a little bit more specifically because if you can let people know what the floor and what the ceiling are or the bottom and the top of your efforts, then it becomes a lot easier for them to understand the scope of your language. So, and again, we're talking, you know, first two languages here, the subjective and the RPE. We haven't even touched on heart rate. We haven't touched on power just yet. So uh, at the beginning of a class, this is the time to anchor it. You know, even if you think your participants, oh, they know this, they've been through it with me before. Um, you know, even just this morning, I had five new people in my indoor cycling class, which still stuns me, but I love it. It makes me happy. So it's my duty to make sure they understand which language I'm about to speak to them. So thinking of the beginning of your class as the primer or um, the Rosetta Stone, like give them the key so they understand what it is you're talking about. So, Doug, why don't you... You know, that's a great concept. I we've never talked about that before. You're a very intelligent woman, Cameron. Oh. Uh, uh, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, no, but as far as... I like that. Give them the Rosetta Stone. You know, explain how you speak. You just, I mean, we assume that I'm, we make sense, but I, I go back and listen to myself sometimes, and sometimes I realize I don't make any sense, especially to someone that's never 
spoken my language before. They, you know, it's um, for people that taught step. I think this makes a lot of sense. Um, and I don't know how much of your audience at one point taught step, but there was no proper nomenclature for step. Um, there were some moves that generally people called the same thing, like um, turn step or corner to corner knees, but grapevine, grapevine, there you go. (laughs) But there are a lot of movements that had multiple names depending on, you know, where you taught. And so it would always take a participant several times with you before they understood your terminology to even make sense of your choreography. And, you know, maybe that's partly why step has seen a major decline over the last 10 years is that nobody knows what anyone's talking about. But right. but it is important to reestablish that every time for yourself. So Doug, Doug does a great job of this and he's a man of detail. So Doug, when you are referencing this or you're anchoring this to people, like how many different ways do you describe it? How long does it take you to set up these concepts uh, for your people? And uh, how do you know that they get it? Uh, well, um, as we just kind of discussed, I have multiple categories that I can choose from. Uh, but obviously, you don't want to give them everything at once because they won't remember anything. So True. I just pick a few quick ones that seem to be the strongest um, and start with that. And then maybe when you revisit that effort or that RP later on, maybe I could use a few different things from different categories to, to further kind of uh, cement it in place, so to speak. Uh, awesome. but basically, I would use three anchor points. So they have a beginning and end, and I also like to give a middle. So they got kind of three places where they can kind of gauge where they're at. Okay, give us an example of those. Well, the bottom anchor would be what we already just talked about, would be in the, the RPE of a two to three range. We'll call that a, the, our bottom category, so to speak. Um, so I would say, you know, one, I kind of use a funny one here. I say, you know, this is the kind of the first place where you feel like you're actually getting a workout. So it's the, the first place where it feels like you're actually doing something. And I like, like to say it's, it's one step above walking your dog, you know, and that always gets a laugh, but that, that makes sense to people, you know, mm-hmm. walking your dog would be a very easy recovery, but you know, going faster than that, well, now I'm actually, you know, starting to sweat or breathe a little bit. Walking a very large dog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a misbehaving large dog. Okay, good. All right. Right. Um, and then, you know, I might go into some more details as we go further into the warm up or as we're going through that. Um, as we get further down the road, so to speak, my, the next anchor would be, you know, basically your, your threshold or your lactate threshold. Um, now, here is where I would say, okay, up, up until now, you know, this everything you've been doing has been very doable and it hasn't been challenging, but it does feel like you're getting workout. Well, now this is the first place where you feel like you're being challenged. You know, this is this is challenging. It's a, kind of hard, but it's still sustainable. Um, you could do it for a fairly long time um, and then go through some other categories to describe that. And, you and know, that, that, that particular one, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Doug, but yep. as we know, that... That area, when you're, you know, getting close to crossing over, if you will, um, there's a lot of things going on physiologically that changes your perception of time and your ability to focus or mentally multitask. And so, you know, it's for this reason, and this could be a whole nother podcast, but it's for this reason that I do think it's imperative that instructors don't necessarily go there when they ask their people to, because at that point, it should be hard for them to mentally multitask. Like you shouldn't be able to worry about your kids or what you need to get from the grocery store at that point, because you don't have the mental capacity to do so. 
so. So if that's where you are as the instructor, then how are you really uh, co- committing to describing this to people in a way that makes sense? So, you know, it, if for a great instructor, I, I think this this point, they know so well that they don't necessarily need to be there in order to describe it. Correct. Agreed. So, Doug, what's the, um, you know, what's the upper end look like and how, how do you really talk about it um, without diluting its difficulty? Uh, well, actually, I, I, I stole this from John. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so at the top end, you're talking about an RPE greater than 7. And the one I, I think I heard John say on a, a podcast a long time ago was basically it's, it's everything you have in you for 30 seconds or less. Uh, and, and then I might qualify that further if people are still kind of looking at me funny by saying, you know, when, when you finish that effort at the end of 30 seconds, you're not going to stand up, you're not going to climb, you're not going to sprint. The only thing you're going to do is, you know, dump resistance and water, and you're going to d- definitely want to recover. And I think that sort of nails it home. <laughs> so that's your upper. That's okay. the upper. Yep. Okay. And you're talking about this at, before you've even started trying to do any of these things. Yeah. You put the anchor points out there right away. That way, they they have they know they have a range of where they they're going to work from, because otherwise they, they have no idea. I I think so many of us we leave those descriptions until the point of. Yeah, Does that make absolutely sense? agreed, and I, and I think the other missing piece in the qualification is time, and and Doug and I have talked a lot about this, but you know, saying uh, a seven and just yelling it out there. Now you're at a seven. Well, great, but for how long? Because that's not easy. And so during that anchoring time, letting people know, you know, this is a point that you could sustain indefinitely. We could, I could close the door, lock the room, throw away the key, go to Starbucks, come back, and you all would still be fine. Uh, but, you know, at a point that is over that threshold, all of a sudden time the, and your ability to hold that effort for that time diminishes rapidly, almost exponentially at that and so that point of saying, you are now going to experience what a seven or an eight feels like, but know this, it will last for maybe 30 seconds to a minute. And I promise you it won't last any longer because if it did, it wouldn't be a seven or an eight. And so, you know, in the in our training, we actually spend a pretty decent chunk of time before we've even done our first benchmark or our first assessment, really requalifying the RPE scale because it's been uh, misused and sort of watered down for the purposes of fitness over the last 10 years or so. And we tend to think of it in a linear fashion where, you know, more is better. And, and I, it's not uncommon for, for me to hear people say, now you're at a nine and now you're at a nine and a 10, 10, 10, give me everything. And five minutes later, they're saying the same thing. <laughs> so, right. so the scale, it's like it, it all of a sudden got watered down. It's like grading on a curve. And now nobody really knows what truly all out efforts actually represent. So if we can stay true to our scale, you know, by qualifying it with these subjective things, then we can help at least keep ourselves honest. Well, you may bring back my confidence in RPE because for a long time I just really spoke against it for that exact reason. It didn't, it didn't have any objective standard. Mm-hmm. And so it could be anything, which means it's nothing. Well, what's crazy is what happens when you really, truly anchor the middle. And I think, and Doug will attest to this, the best way to anchor the middle 
um, is to do a benchmark, to do the functional threshold power or functional threshold heart rate uh, ride. And in the middle of that ride, uh, when, when we're doing this, we tell people, here you are, you're in this window, this 20-minute window where I'm asking you to give me really, really challenging efforts, or in uh, the case of the eight-minute, you're in the middle of this eight-minute window. And when I tell people, oh, and by the way, this is a five on your scale of one to 10, people look at you like you're crazy because they say, but I'm going all out. And I say, you are, but you're going all out for a much longer chunk of time. It's not all out 30 seconds. It's all out 20 minutes. Or if you want to get technical, all out 60 minutes. So it all has to be related to that. And I think once they get a chance to re-qualify the scale and, and really know its true value, then you stop hearing people yell, 9, 10, 9, 10, max, yay, woohoo. Right. And I think when you speak to it, the perception that it's linear. Yeah, it's not uh, linear at all. And that, it's. I wish I had a graph I could show everybody with this. But at that point, when you hit a five, if you were to look at this on a scale, you know, this re, uh, progression, all of a sudden it takes a steep you know, pitch up and six, seven, eight, nine almost starts going straight up rather than, you know, a, a nice 45 degree linear, um, progression. And at some point it actually turns back on itself and you're really getting negative return on your investment. Your body's saying, nope, done. Can't do this anymore. Not sustainable. And right. But well, let me interrupt you though. So, but what you're bringing in two components here, you're not just talking about the effort, but you're talking about the effort at over a specific time. amount of yep. time, right? Yep, exactly. You know that reminds me of something. That, that every time I watch a race on television, if you ever anybody watches uh, like the Grand Prix racing or something, and I can remember one of my daughters watching it with me, and, and when the cars are um, going down a, the long straightaway, they go very very fast, so they appear to be further and further apart. Mm-hmm. But when they get to the end of the straightaway in the corner and they start slowing down, they get closer, closer, closer. And she would always say, "Well, Dad, look, he's catching up." Well, wait a minute, now he's not. But the difference is that <laughs> the difference is they're separated by time; they're not separated by distance. That's a really that's the, a good analogy. And, and you know, what I mean, so that. So and maybe it's not making any sense, and I'll probably end up cutting it out. But <laughs> but 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 essentially, what yeah is that there's the you have to compare take both components. It's not just how you feel, but it's how you feel plus for the duration of time that you're feeling it. Yeah. That really becomes what uh, we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, in just think of you know basic geometry. I mean, in order to have a straight line. You need to have two points. We need to have we need to have relation uh, to space, and this applies to power too. And and I don't really want to necessarily open up this can of worms, but if you're really going to talk wattage and you're going to talk comparison with wattage, we need to look at wattage over kilograms over body weight. We can't just look at it for what it is because it doesn't mean anything um, otherwise. So there really always needs to be some comparative piece there. So okay. that's a whole different can of worms. So put that can away. That can's gone. Yes, it is gone. <laughs> yes. And like I say, I might end up cutting this out. All right. So now you've established the the language at some level early in the class. Okay. Now, and both of you or one of you used the term benchmark. Mm-hmm. Explain explain that. Well, the the crux, I guess, if of 
stages in recycling and just kind of how we approach this is that if we understand how to do basic either formal assessment or uh, informal assessment just uh, through repetition, then people get an idea of where they stand that in that given day because every day is different. And, um, you know, there's some days when you're, you're telling yourself, gosh, I know I'm working harder than this, but the numbers aren't lying to you. So it's good to get that view um, for that particular day, that snapshot. So, you know, here we have Doug just talked about like anchoring the bottom, uh, the top, and then we can anchor the middle, uh, whether it's through just speaking about it or formally. But there are other ways to do this than our long uh, assessment. There's actually some formal ones that are shorter, or we can do something um, that requires no assessment whatsoever, just in the form of repeated efforts. So um, maybe just since you know people already have the concept of FTP in their mind, functional threshold power, and since we talked about our skeleton for that ride, Doug, why don't you just give people an overview of what uh, the Carmichael protocol is and then how you modify it and how other people have modified it. Okay. Well, the, the basic Carmichael profile yeah, um, is to do an eight minute FTP test. Um, and they find that correlates well with the 20, which then of course correlates well to the, the FTP effort. Um, the only difference is, and rather than taking 5% off the score that you get for the 20, you now take 10% off. And let me just clarify real quick, just for people that maybe are wondering what we're talking about here. So, you know, this is in the in the confines of a 60-minute class. So you have a full class, but really we're interested in particular windows of time. So technically speaking, a functional threshold power test, if we were going to do this, you know, from a standard point of view, would be a 60-minute time trial. But we all know that most people are not ready, nor will they ever go there, and that is great and fine. So there's basically ways to do a shortened version of that, uh, a 20-minute version. And then because there's some pretty direct correlations with how long you can hold these efforts, we do a little math to it. And the 20-minute version, uh, we basically take 5% off the top. And that gives us what we could theoretically hold for 60 minutes. So what you're saying is for that eight-minute um, we can actually take 10% off the top, and that would give us what we could theoretically do for 60 minutes. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, so now we're there. Because because we're going for a shorter period of time, and mentally, the idea is that we're going to allow ourselves to work a little harder. Right, yes. and physiologically. I mean, at that point, when we're talking eight minutes, you are definitely taking more of your energy from anaerobic sources because it's shorter. Uh, so we have to account for that because really we're looking for your your all-out aerobic effort, not anaerobic effort. So that's why we got to take some off the top. Okay, so Perfect. Doug, go ahead and talk about, yeah, what's their standard standard protocol? Standard protocol, they go through a, a specific warm-up, which I won't get into, but um, they, do, they basically do two eight-minute FTP tests. So they do the first one and they take a 10, 10 or 15-minute break and then they do the second one. Um, and the idea behind that is, is, is it's got a few different benefits. Uh, one, if you happen to tank the first one, maybe you just go out way too hard or, you know, you, you can't finish well or maybe you don't go hard enough. It gives you a second opportunity to try to get a better score the second time. Um, 
the other way you could look at it is maybe the first one you you get your highest score and but now the second one your score may be a little lower but the next time you repeat it well now you can see how those two differ in comparison maybe the next time your second score is a little higher than it was the first time so it kind of gives you two opportunities to look at how you've improved you know maybe your recovery is improved um, so you can get a better score on the second one um, so that's the official way of how it's how it's done um, I've done it that way um, as another option for that a great way to approach this and I think this will be good for you John when you're talking about people who have are coming in for the first time or are beginners or new this is where you can communicate that, hey, we're going to do two really hard eight-minute efforts, but for the people that are new, I want you to actually hold back a little bit on that first eight-minute effort, just so you have a sense of how long that actually is. You know, and then on the second one, you know, then you can really kind of, you know, push it as hard as you're comfortable with. So, so you can learn learn from it. Yes. Yep. Got it. Because most people who are new, they don't have a good concept of time and how hard they can actually go. So it gives them a chance to sort of practice, so to speak. Got it. Uh, okay, so I, and I like that. Yeah. How much how much recovery do you use them? Uh, they have ten minutes. I've done ten. I've done fifteen. Um, probably for the average population, the more the better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Then beyond that, is is there some protocol, something that we can use that's even more abbreviated to that to at least get something? close again using that benchmark term not to get a benchmark in terms of predicting your ftp um, but in terms of making using just getting the numbers personal to the people who are there well and that's what i'm speaking of right to that extent you have to do something that's basically a repeated interval um, preferably something fairly short between you know one minute and i don't know five minutes or so where Mm -hmm. you're picking an interval as a reference point and they, they have a number that they scored on that interval, and then you're trying to match it on, you know, successive intervals. And this, this John, you can do in any class. It doesn't matter what it is. And I think it's a great tool for teaching instructors how to structure content in their, in their rides because, you, you know, you don't need to map your class out from minute zero to minute 60. You know, you've got a warm-up. You've got a cool-down. Great. Now map one six-minute effort and then – you know, lather, rinse, repeat, you know, that's all you got to do is take down time and do it again. And so when we teach, and we actually did this at the conference last year, we did an optimal intervals, uh, workshop. And in that workshop, we really focused on five minute efforts. And at the end of the five minutes, we asked people to, at this point in time, start honing in on your average wattage for this five minute segment. And I want you to memorize that. And if people are in a point where they can't memorize, we even give them a little plastic card in their water bottle holder that they can write it down after the fact. And then, you know, after recovery, we do the exact same pattern again. And we're just trying to see what people can sustain over the course of time uh, or can they improve. So you're not evaluating yourself based on your neighbor, and you're not even evaluating yourself based on your past experience. You're just basing it on where you are right in that moment. Perfect. Because, again, that's my goal as an instructor is to have something that I can use to both um, – how do I describe it? Um, be inclusive to everyone in the class mm-hmm. that chooses to. And at the same time, have them find something personal, which hopefully will set them up with the desire for knowing more. 
So at the time when we do schedule a, a real FTP class where we're going to do a 20-minute effort, they'll be motivated you know, to do that. Some will probably say, well, this is plenty. But having those early protocols, I don't like that word. It's got to be a better word than that. Sounds like something happens at the doctor. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Yes. That, so we have something like that because I've been one, you know, because, you know, where I teach, you and I have talked about this, is that, you know, the expectation is that we're going to take people to, to their threshold heart rate relatively early in class mm-hmm. to give them some understanding of it. And which is, you know, like Tom Scott was talking the other day about doing openers, you know, essentially yeah. the same thing bring them to that point where that we get them to cross threshold, understand what it feels like. And so, you know, it A, prepares them for more exercise, but B, gives them some understanding of the upper end, mm-hmm. like the we were ceiling. talking about earlier. Yep. 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 Yeah, I mean, uh, it's... I, uh, I to interrupt, guys. I have to go. Oh, go ahead. I have to leave. I have class in like 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Doug, <laughs> so enjoyed having you with. Good. It's good to be here. Thanks, Doug. We'll talk to you again. Thanks, Doug. All right. Okay, well, now that we've lost Doug, uh, Cameron, you and I talked about this earlier, so I know to ask you the question, but what are you seeing as far as a misapplication or a misuse of these new tools that we have? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because this happens inevitably. You know, it's like a new product comes on the market, no matter what it is, cycling, um, you know, some sort of balance integration or core strength integration tool. And inevitably people try to get creative. And I say that with air quotes that you can't see at the moment. Uh, they try to get creative with it and in turn, um, they end up misusing it or, uh, using it for something that it was never intended for, which, you know, oftentimes, you know, can lead to, people either not seeing results that they want at the very least or in the very worst, uh, injury. So where I see this and it's very similar to what goes on with heart rate, um, is that people like to start putting specific numbers out there and telling their class, and now you need to do this. Um, so, you know, I've, uh, heard of instances of people writing a wattage number up on like their squeaky board that's in front of them and say, okay, for five minutes, I want everyone to hold this number, which is laughable. I mean, it is just as, and as I tend to say this in the training, it's just as much a cardinal sin as telling everyone, now your heart rate needs to be 160. Mm-hmm. Because it's or totally, it's totally personal. I mean, and it's dependent on more factors than we have time to list. And And I think, you know, the general population knows that, oh, well, that's ridiculous. I would never say that with my heart rate because for some people that 160 uh, might be like a stroll in the park. And for others, they might be feeling like they're on the border of cardiac arrest. It's personal. And so wattage needs to be, it really does need to be thought of in the same light because there are uh, other elements, particularly body weight and uh, specific conditioning that that has everything to do with whether that wattage is a challenging one for you or whether it's easy. And then, of course, the final factor is for how long. Because everyone can put up really high wattage for themselves for two seconds. And you know, on our bike specifically, we can measure that. We can measure it over a very quick, brief moment in time because you create torque. Just like, you know, if you were in a truck and you were rubbing your engine at the starting line and then you peel out or you burn out, you create a lot of torque in the very, very beginning, the first few moments. And then it's 
you know, momentum and inertia that carry you forward. So we always have to consider the time factor um, in addition to people's weight and condition. So for that very reason, we have to talk about things uh, subjectively or in terms of a percent of what they know. But again, I'm, this is way down the road. I mean, I, I think it takes time to get your folks to that point because they need to know that language. So if, and, well, and I think where all this is going, Cameron, is that it's my objective is to help every, all these listeners that we have, wonderful people they are, to give them the understanding that the language on the front end is very critical. Oh, it's so important, yes. But, it, but it's also freeing in that once you've decided what you're going to do, you explain what you're going to do, you aren't mid-class trying to create something. Yeah, I mean, it, it so, really, To communicate something you didn't communicate on the front end. I mean, you can, if you are good at communicating this early on, you can be having a really bad day mentally as an instructor and your plan is already set as such that you're okay. You know, you can see it through to the end. And, uh, you know, with people understanding your language, it, it does provide you a lot more freedom to talk about the stuff that does really matter and is important in the moment and just provides consistency. And to that end, you know, one component of our class design section or when we do class by design, we always advise that if people let your class know when the high point is coming, when, when will be the hardest section of class? And I go so far as to tell people, you know, like, for instance, I taught a 6 a.m. class today and I told them, OK, gang, at 6.22 to 6.24 a.m. today is when I am going to expect the most work out of you so that if they're having a bad day, they know, well, at that moment, I'm just going to give everything. And then from there on out, I'm just happy to have made it to class today. And it just allows for their expectations to be in line with what you're actually serving them. So, give, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Forgive me for use, dropping a couple of names here, but I know I've taken uh, trainings from Jay Blonick mm-hmm. and from Douglas Brooks, two people I'm sure you yep. know. And Absolutely. they both focused on that to a large degree at the beginning of the training, that how critical that is. I remember Doug, Douglas Brooks had a big whiteboard that he had a profile that he drew out so that, with the under, so that everyone understood here when we get to this point – just like you explained, that's where the hard part's going to be. You're not saving it and then never using it. Well, and the, the intended consequence of that over time is that they trust you because there's nothing worse than not knowing when the person's going to torment you. So you just hold back out of fear. And and knowing when that, that challenging moment's going to come allows you to essentially see your course you know, you, ha- you can see it in your mind's eye and you know, okay, well, this is when I need to, to save up for this and this is when I can let loose. It's mentally, it, it really, you'd be stunned at the amount of work that you can see out of your participant base when they know what to expect. Exactly. Yep. They understand, yeah, when it's going to come, how long it's going to last. Mm-hmm. And, and through that level of confidence, you know, I like to use structured videos in my classes. Certainly. Uh, for- that you know, epic planets have these wonderful profiles at the bottom that can just point at it. So here's where it's going to get hard. That red line that goes straight up, <laughs> <laughs> and so and so we just prep for it, and we know when we're going to get there. We know how long it's going to be, and and I hear all, repeatedly, "Oh yeah, that that was cool. I really enjoyed doing that." But I think what they were really saying was, "I understood it. I knew it was coming, so I was prepared for it." Yep, expectations and reality. When they're the same, good things happen. 
Oh, yes. Un- unmet con- uh, expectations are typically a <laughs> major point of conflict. They make for comment people. cards, nasty comment <laughs> cards. <laughs> yes. You know, we've talked before about your iPhone app. Yeah. And actually, my buddy Randy, who is the leader of our MS-150 team, frequent participant, I think I've talked to him before. He's one of these guys that uh, is very, does very, very well. Kids are grown, you know, and so he enjoys toys. He's a gear guy. All right. Right. Yeah. I mean, his he has a, a road bike that costs more than most people's cars. And... <laughs> And he, but he's just—he's the greatest guy. But he is a is a gear guy. He's a technology guy, and he's in there in class with his Garmin and everything else. He is so impressed with that app that he's in there training all by himself now, so that he can, so that he can. Uh, he's working on you know having the, your app determine his, you know FTP. Oh, that's and, great. Oh my gosh, she has so much fun with it. And he's, he called me on Sunday, John. John, I got some more questions for you. And it was just—it was just awesome. Well, it is fun to see, and we, um, you know, this now I'm beginning to embark on on the trainings that we're doing to help instructors understand how to really utilize that app, because uh, there's a lot more than what you see at face value, and and there's a lot of potential to to train groups in mass, like truly train groups, uh, if people are using the technology. So we're working with um, a couple different clubs right now that are rolling this out full force across their their programming, and uh, we're getting into the in, the uh, education portion of that, and it's really exciting to see to see people adopting it, um, and and to see people globally, you know, asking us questions about it and saying, oh, this is so great. How do I get a classroom set of these? And how do I, how do, I do this at a larger scale? So it's exciting, really exciting. Very cool. All right. Well, unless you have anything else, Cameron, I think we need to pull this to a close. We've gone very long, but a lot of good information as always. Fun stuff. Well, it's always my pleasure because you've got one heck of an audience that can't be beat. So I appreciate <laughs> being able to just spend even a few minutes in front of them because they're pretty cool. Excellent. And now, and if you have any questions or comments, uh, please jump in and you can just leave a comment. And I know Cameron will address each and every one of your questions personally, because that's just how she is. So, Cameron Shinati, Stages Indoor Cycling, I appreciate your time today and your contribution to our community. Of course. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure. 